Well, good morning, church. It is good to be back. We were on an extended vacation um, celebrating our 30th year wedding anniversary and a vacation sort of combined into one. Been planning for a couple years, um, trying to figure out how to piece this all together. We finally were able to do it, and it was, it was good. But it's good to be back as well. And I, and I can't believe when we pulled in Friday night, late Friday night, it's like listening to a Friday night football game on the way home from vacation. We've never done that before because our kids have always been in school. This is the first year in almost 20 years that we've not had a kid in the high school or middle school or elementary school. And it's like, well, that's weird. But you know what? School started. Sorry. Uh, for those of you maybe not outside of Washington, I know uh, Pettisville's or Archibald starts up this week. Maybe Pettisville, Delta, y'all, y'all starting school, and there's no escaping it. Um, so let's just put it right up there for everybody to see. You're going back to school. It's happening. You know when it's, when it's happening because all the fall sports, they're out there practicing. You hear the whistles blowing. The marching bands are working. The school shopping's taking place. Everything is getting exciting uh, as, as everybody heads back. You can look at the teachers' faces. They're the ones that are sulking and angry and like, i got to go back to school. No, I think, I think they get pretty excited as well. And we want to pray for all of our teachers and our coaches and our administrators, uh, those that work in the custodial and the food and, and volunteer. There's so many people that help in our school systems, and we just want to be lifting them up in prayer as they head back to school. It is an exciting time. And I was, I was thinking about this. Everybody's pretty much excited, probably girls more than guys. You can correct me on this, teens. Feel free. But I sort of feel, and we were sort of mentioning this, like, I think girls are like, oh, Two days. Um, and they haven't, but the guys, they go back to school and they're like, uh, I gotta go to class. There's, there's a difference between guys and girls, but everybody has certain emotions. But I want everybody in here right now just to remember that if you can, for those of us that are older, remember your first day back. If you can, let's go back to elementary. Remember in elementary, you'd get in your class and your teacher's like, okay, we're gonna write an essay. How I spent my summer vacation. I want you all right now, just in your mind, pretend you're filling that out. What did this last summer look like for some of you? Traveling? Were you at the lake? Were you um, spending time maybe at a grandparent's or a family member's house? Maybe you spent time somewhere you don't normally spend. You went into the city and you're not from the city. You went out on a farm and you're not from a farm. I don't know. Maybe you have a new hobby, growing uh, things in a garden. I don't know. Fishing? Maybe it was summer in the ball field. Some of you are traveling around from one ball field to another ball field, from one tournament to another. What did you do this summer? How did you spend your time? Maybe it wasn't too crazy. Maybe it was, well, I went to camp one week, and that was about it. Some of you are like, well, I started a new job. Others like, it was the same mode. I just basically came home and relaxed on the back deck or the porch. What was it for you? How did you spend your summer vacation? Everybody got that in their mind now? What did you write about? You got that down? Now, now spiritually speaking, I'm going to make a transition here, okay? Because I want you to think about what you did this summer, and now it's back to school, right? That attitude. Spiritually speaking, I want you to sort of picture like this, the life of Jesus. I want you to think about all the things that Jesus did in his life. The places he went, the things he did. And, and I want you to put in chronological order, meaning from the time he was born to the time Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. How did it look? Because if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and you're going to read them, they're not in chronological order. But if you were to take them and put them in order from 
one event to the next, it's pretty interesting. And I'm going to put my notes up on the screen here for you because I, I wanted to sort of see what it looked like unfolding. Um, and and here's, here's the way it starts. And, and I got a bunch of abbreviations up there. You may not even understand. That's okay. You don't have to. MT is Matthew. MK is Mark. LK, LK is Luke. John just might be written JN or, or the John itself. If you see FF, that means it's the following verses and so forth. But here's what I wanted to see, just all the things, sort of the, the, the main things that took place. John the Baptist, Baptist baptizes Jesus as it sort of begins out. Then compelled by the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. And he is tempted. And the angels take care of him. It's a pretty incredible thing. And then we get into John chapter 1. Now, Jesus is walking along, and I love this, because John's writing this, because at 4 o'clock, I met Jesus, basically what he says. He wrote down the time. Uh, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel all meet Jesus that day. John 2, then we have the wedding at Cana. And they go to Capernaum with family, Jerusalem for the Passover. He's in the temple area. He drives out the money changers. He did that twice, by the way, this now, and then one towards the end of his ministry. John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and you get John 3, 16, an incredible passage. Um, he goes off to the Judean, uh, Judean countryside and hangs out. Um, we have John 4. He leaves Judea, goes to Galilee, goes through Samaria, meets the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Comes to Cana, he meets a government official. His son is, is sick and dying, and basically Jesus heals his son from a far distance. He's like, it's going to be okay. You have strong faith. And he heads home and finds out his son was healed at that very hour. Luke 4, he comes to Nazareth. Uh, it's his boyhood home. He reads some scriptures, proclaims that he fulfilled those scriptures, and there's a furious reaction, and basically they try to kill him, uh, and it doesn't happen. We get into Matthew 4 and Mark 1, and those are the moments when he comes to Simon, which is Peter and Andrew, James and John, and says, hey, come follow me. He has a moment when he gets into their boats and preaches, and he says, hey, let's go fishing. And they had just been fishing, and they failed miserably. And they get on the water, and he says, won't you throw your nets on this side? And they throw the nets on that side. And they have this miraculous catch, almost sinks their boats, and then they decide, you know what, he is the Lord, let's follow him. They go to Capernaum, the synagogue on the Sabbath. He teaches with authority, but he tosses a demon out of a man in the synagogue during a message. Can you imagine that? Like in the middle of a sermon, it's like, hey, and psh, cast a demon out. It's like, wow, crazy, right? Then we get into Mark chapter 1 and Mark, Matthew 8, Luke 4. Jesus uh, and his disciples, they go to Simon and Andrew's home. Uh, that's Peter's home. And he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She's like, oh, I'm feeling better. She gets up and she makes him a meal, serves them. Um, she was listening to Brian's message last week. Good job. Matthew 4, Mark 1, Luke 4. Jesus gets up early to pray, travels to uh, the region, Galilee region, casting out demons, preaching. He heals a leper. Um, all these people come to Jesus. Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5. He returns to Capernaum. He's got this full house of people around. They bring a paralyzed man to him. They drop him down through the, the ceiling, uh, through the roof. He heals him. Um, Jesus calls Matthew, which is Levi, uh, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples. He goes to eat at his house. John 5, Jesus returns to Jerusalem, pulled Bethsaida, heals a man by, that's been lame for 38 years. Mark 3, Matthew 12, Luke 6, Jesus heals a man with a deformed hand on a Sabbath. Of course, they plot to kill Jesus because they don't like that. Now, what I just did from the time Jesus started his ministry being baptized to that last moment, the last one I shared with you uh, was the healing of the hand on the Sabbath. All that 
took place in that there, there, there's no, I don't know if you noticed, there's no major teaching going on. He'll say he taught with authority. And they might give like John 3 when he talked to Nicodemus. But there's no strong discourse. There's no preaching moments. There's no sermons. There's no, how should we live, Jesus? All through that, it's just events and fun and events and miracles. To me, it was like summer vacation. No teaching going on. Let's just check out all the fun stuff and the cool stuff that he does. And, oh, water to wine. Oh, you're lame? Get up. You can walk. Oh, your hand hurts? It's healed. It's like all these amazing things. You follow me on this church? So it's like all that ministry going on with Jesus. Then we come to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It's like three chapters of Jesus' teaching. This is what I call spiritually going back to school. For, for a time period, Jesus is doing all these fun things and crazy things and awesome things. And then he's like, oh, by the way, let's, let's, let's have a little message here. I need to teach you. Open up the books. Let's, let's discover something new. And, and so these three chapters is, like I said, I'm calling this sort of the going back to school. And these were moments. There were moments, little nuggets, like I said, of information teaching, but we don't have anything. Now we get it. Now, now we get it. And we read this, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be incredible because here's the thing. Over the next month or so, I want to get into the Sermon on the Mount. So when you show up over the next month or so, we're going to be digging through not every single verse, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, but through a lot of what did Jesus teach us. And the thing is like this is like, well, why would we do that, Rex? Well, one, it's preaching out of the Word. That's what I do. Okay. Two... Jesus is our king. When you read Matthew, the genealogy starts with King David, and you get to King Jesus being born. When he dies and he's resurrected, he says, all authority and power has been given to me. Why is that? Because he's the king. From first to last, he is our, our eternal king. We are children of the king. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're a child of the king. The question is, as his children, how should we live for this king? Well, how about we check out what the king has to say? What does he require of his people, of his citizens? How do we represent the king of kings? And the Sermon on the Mount is that message of hope and instruction for the people of God's kingdom. So yeah, we're going back to school, church. If all the kids got to go back to school, we're all going back to school. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to encourage you right now, you might have to have a little change of attitude on this one, okay? Maybe not giddy like the little, little elementary girl that's, oh, okay, I'm not asking you that, but I am asking you to come with the right attitude of, you know what? We're a child of the king. I want to live for the king. What do I need to learn from the king? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 14. I'm going to put this on the screen. You can look it up if you want. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 14, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. God has offered salvation to everyone, those who want it, those who want to accept it. It's a free gift. It says, And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, 
and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Until Christ returns, we're instructed to live in a righteous way. We are instructed to follow God's direction, but we can't know his direction if we're not in the Word. He goes on to say this, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. I don't care if it's the smallest of sins that you think, well, that's not such a bad sin, or that's a horrible sin. Whatever sin it is, Christ died for every single sin to free us from that sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. As his people who are forgiven, we are what? Totally committed to doing good deeds. In other words, living for the king. As God's people, part of his kingdom, we have salvation. We have a a new position with God. Thanks to salvation, we, we call it justification. It's just as if I've never sinned. When God looks at us, he sees Christ and what he did on the cross, and then he sees us, and we have been forgiven. We have been justified. We have a new position in Christ. Now that we have this new position in Christ, though, there's this word called sanctification, which means we're continually growing in our faith. We are continually being perfected to be like him. It's an ongoing process until the day we meet him face to face. So we have a new position, but we continue to grow in our faith. And that's what we we see this verse here. And it's like, well, as his child, as as a child of the king, those who live by his commands, if you're a child of the king, you're going to live by his commands. But how do I know his commands? if I don't open up the book. If you're an athlete, if you're like football players, they all have playbooks. They all learn the plays. How are you going to run the play if you don't read the playbook? I saw one coach just nod his head like, yeah. That's, that's the frustration of a coach that always goes, did you read the playbook? Uh, no. It happens in every sport. And it's like, do you ever think God ever looks at us and goes, did you read the playbook? Well, not really. Then, then expect to fail. But when you start opening up the playbook, you have opportunity to succeed. So this whole going back to school basically means we're going to be opening up God's Word. We're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and here's the thing. That doesn't maybe sound as fun as going outside and playing games. And, you know, that's what kids like to do. Recess. What's your favorite part of school? Recess. Lunch. I get it. Yeah, I remember those days. But see, this is where we learn to live for God in this world and preparing for his kingdom. And the question is, what is our attitude about going back to the Bible and learning? Are we excited about it? What is your attitude towards wanting to learn? And I'm going to tell you right now, I know where it is. Okay? Let me give you an example. If I were to say, I'm going to give you one half day, one half of a day, and transport you back to two situations, you get to choose which one. Here it goes. First choice is this. You can be on the boat with Jesus and the disciples when it got really stormy. Actually, Jesus was on the boat yet. He's on the, you're on the boat with the disciples. It's stormy, getting crazy. Jesus is walking on water, and then he's going to have Peter come out on the water, right? And then he calms the storm. Would you like to go back to that moment for half a day? Or would you like to go sit on the hillside when it's like sun's beating down on you, it's all hot and you're sweating, you're listening to Jesus preach for three or four hours on the Sermon on the Mount. So which half day are you choosing? Okay? Now, me, I'm going boat. 
Okay? Um, I'm, a, I'm a, like adventurous. I want to see what's going to happen. Yeah, I want to hear what Jesus is going to say. But I, I'd, I'd sort of like to see Peter try to walk on water. Matter of fact, I might ask Jesus if I can walk on water, right? Going back and learning, maybe it's not as appealing as maybe some of what we would call the fun stuff, right? But which would be more beneficial to us? The boat or the sermon? The sermon's going to be so much more beneficial to us. So much more beneficial to us. Um, I, I want to say thanks to Brian for preaching the last, filling the pulpit the last two weeks. Um, excellent job. Thank you so much, brother. Um, you know, they say when somebody preaches a message and then they walk down, you know, don't say anything afterwards. Like, you know, I want to add to what Pastor Brian just said. I want to add to what Pastor so-and-so just You know, it's like, no, they, they said it, be done. But I want to add to what you said last week. <laughs> now, here's, here's the reason why. We listened to his message. You know, we're, we're out west, hundreds of miles away, and we're tuning in because this is our church, Right? And so we're listening, and he asked a question. He said, who likes to be served? Now, I, don't, I couldn't see what you saw. I, I don't know who raised your hand or didn't raise your hand, okay? But I had this feeling that a lot of you didn't raise your hand. Is that fair? Okay, thank you. So here's the thing. I'm going to guarantee you there's a lot of you that were in here that were not being honest, okay? I bet 100% of you in here want to be served, but you just didn't want to say it. So let me give you an example. While on vacation, we did a lot of hiking, Go for a long hike, four, five, six miles, whatever it may be. We get pretty worn out. We're hungry. We go back into West Yellowstone. There's, there's shops and places to eat. Walk around for a little bit until the point I get hangry. And then it's like, let's eat. You know? So we go into a restaurant. The hostess takes us to a table, sits us down. There's a table, four cups stacked, pitcher of water. She walks away. It's like, all right, we'll serve ourselves. Right? So we sit down get our own cups, or I guess that's what you do here. Everybody's different. So we're sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. About 10 minutes later, because we timed it, or maybe we didn't time it, I don't know, maybe we didn't time it, but about 10 minutes later, the waiter comes up to me and and my, my, my pastoral countenance had departed. Um, And he's like, would you need, do you need more time? And I'm thinking, no, we've had plenty of time. And, of course, my family looks at me like, Dad, really? It's like, I'm just, did that come out of my mouth? Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. Um, we've been sitting here 10 minutes. You didn't ask us what we wanted to drink. You just wanted to know if we need more time. No, we've, we've had plenty of time. So, anyway, I was like, okay, relax, right? Here's the thing. In that situation, how many of us want to be served? Me? Okay, yeah. I've, I'm waiting. I'm ready to be served. Now, if you say, oh, I don't want to be served, you're lying, or you weren't hungry enough, one of the two, okay? A few days later, same scenario, another hike, another walk around town, go into another restaurant. This time we sit down. There's actually glasses of water there for us. Like, oh, great. We sit down, drink our water, drink our water, look at the menu, get a little shocked by the prices because inflation out there is double whatever it is here, okay? Out there, it's, okay? And it's like, drink more water. Not very busy. One, two, three, four, five, six waiters and waitresses. I discovered what the word waiter means. You are waiting to be served is what waiter means. Anyway, uh, waiting for the waiter, waitress, and, and nothing happening. So we're looking at each other like, this time we are timing. It's been 10 minutes. You know, it's been eight minutes. It's been whatever minutes. You know, it's like, we'll give them two more. 
Oh, here comes somebody. And there goes somebody. We're out of here. So we actually, we got up and like, well, thanks for the water. And we left. Why? Why would we do that? Because we're hungry. I wanted to be served. Nobody wanted to serve me. So to your point, Brian, I think we all want to be served, right? We went down the street, just to the next restaurant over, walked in, greeted with smiles. Hey, had a seat. What would you like to drink? What would I like to drink? Nobody's asked me that in two restaurants. Thank you. I'll tell you what I like to drink, you know, and then what would you like to eat? Well, let's, let's order this right. And the, the, it was like a NASCAR pit crew. I mean, it's like food, you know, it was awesome. Um, we were so excited. It was like it felt so good to be served, right? So to, to Brian's point, we all want to be served. Now, here's the thing. We pulled into Yellowstone one day. And again, this is, we're celebrating our anniversary. We're celebrating vacation and we're just enjoying it. And we pull in and it was a long line. There was like five, six lanes, entrances to pay, to pay, to pay, to pay. Prepaid, you already have a pass. That's us. Okay, so let's get in that prepaid line. And we're in that line. This is Sunday morning a week ago. So a week ago, we were in line with our prepaid pass, just having listened to a message from this church, from Brian. And, and the message, if you remember about in Swanton, that, you know, and you're waiting for people to pull in in front of you. And do you let them go in front of you? We just heard that message, and I'm in line. This is our view. All these cars to my left with their turn signals on to get in front of me. And I just heard this message. So, what do I do? Well, feeling convicted with my family in the vehicle watching me, I motioned to the car to sign me. Good, yeah. I'll let that car go in. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> and then from the back seat, one of my sons says, Hey, Dad, why don't you let another car in? <laughs> God, do I get extra credit for this? <laughs> Two, yeah. You go ahead, too, yeah. Let another car in. So it's, it's, it's one of those moments now, now, why do I bring all this up? Why do I talk about being served and why do I talk about serving others? Here's why. I love hearing God's word preached and being able to apply it. That morning I heard God's word firmly preached and then I got to apply it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And and. Had you not opened God's word, had we not opened up a church that wants to hear God's word, we don't have the opportunity to be faithful as children of the king to what his kingdom, what he wants. Our actions come from learning. Learning takes place when we open up God's word. Why am I going back to school with you all? Because we need to learn. We need to learn. As much as you may not like going to school and learning, it is so important to learn. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs 1, and I'll just quickly share a few reasons why uh, we need to learn and an attitude about learning, and we'll wrap it up. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs is you know, a collection of sayings, and it's not laws, but sayings and, and, and wise things that were given from God through Solomon and a few other authors as well. And we read in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
He says this. What are these Proverbs for? Verse 2. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and the riddles of the wise. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In reading Proverbs chapter 1, it sort of comes down and says, hey, you know why it's good to open up God's word? Do you know why it's good to read these Proverbs? Do you know why it's good to find all of this information in God's word? Because it teaches people wisdom and discipline to understand the insights of the wise. To, to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. I don't know how many of you, when you were growing up, when you were maybe first or second grade, you said, when you grow up, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to be a failure. I don't think anybody wrote that. I think it was like, I want to be successful. I want to succeed at this. Nobody ever says, I'm really trying to fail right now. Nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants to succeed. God's word says, this is where you learn to live disciplined and successful lives from God's word. You want to find out how? Get into God's word. You learn what to do is right, just, fair. This gives prudence or insight to the simple. It helps you have good judgment. I'm not sure what I should do. God's word usually is really good at telling you what to do. Knowledge and history become wise or receive guidance. So as we read God's word, we discover what God has to say to us. And it's good for us. Warren Wearsby, he's a theologian, he once said this. He said, we're living in the information age, but we certainly aren't living in the age of wisdom. Many people who are wizards with their computers seem to be amateurs when it comes to making a success out of their lives. We're really good at picking up information, but how do we apply it? Another author said this, it is probably a safe bet to say that most people today are not much interested in wisdom. Oh, they're interested in making money and having a good time. Some are interested in knowing something, in getting an education. Almost everyone wants to be well-liked. But wisdom? The pursuit of wisdom is not a popular idea. What is your attitude towards this? We, we find out why. Here's the why we should get in here, right? But what is our attitude? I, hopefully you understand. You know, there's value in God's word. But am I displaying it? Am I displaying that with my attitude towards learning? Look at chapter 2 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 1 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. We're going to come back to the word store up. Store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. How are we pursuing God in his word? Are we chasing after it? Did you see some of the words and phrases that were used here? Storing up commands, turning your ear, 
crying aloud, calling out, looking for it as if it's silver, looking for it as if it's a hidden treasure. You know, one of my favorite movies is National Treasure. And in that movie, Nicolas Cage, and, and he has his family line of, they were just searching for clue after clue, trying to find this hidden treasure. And it was, it was going on throughout the whole movie. It's like chasing after, chasing after it. Do we do the same thing with God's wisdom? Do we chase after? Do we search after it as if we're searching for a hidden treasure? Verse 5, if you were to read on, verse 5 says, When you do this, then this will happen. And you can see from 7 to 19, even to verse 20, all the things that happen when you chase after God's word, when you cry aloud, when you call out, when you pursue it, when you store up those commands, here's what God says will happen. Chapter 3, look at chapter 3. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, both talk about storing up, not forgetting, keeping my commands in your heart. It isn't just something, hey, let's glance at God's word. It's look into God's word. Let's meditate on God's word. Let's memorize God's word. Let's store it and keep it because you're going to need it. Many years ago, and I say many, was when I was in high school, our youth group took a trip up to upstate Wisconsin, up in the middle of nowhere, for a week-long canoes. We had five big coolers full of food. We had uh, somebody meet us in the middle of the week to help us replenish a lot of the food that we had eaten because we were in the middle of nowhere. We're just on a canoe, one spot to the next spot, going down the river, and you had to make sure your food was properly stored. If you don't store your food well, you're going to be in trouble. There wasn't just raccoons. There was bear, black bear, a lot of black bear. Second night out, out with our campsite, we had our five coolers stacked up like a pyramid. And in the middle of the night, as I saw a shadow pass in front of my tent, discovered there was a bear deciding he wanted our food. Our youth leader, our youth pastor was out there making a little noise, and we all got out of our tents to, to watch. And I've never seen a bear snag a cooler so quick in my life and take off with it into the woods. I was like, ooh, okay, this is interesting, right? And we could hear out in the woods as the bear would take the cooler because they're like, ooh, okay, they, they have to swing a cooler against a tree to a bust open, and then they put their head in and just enjoy the food, right? That was a little eye-opening to all of us youth kids, okay? And then as we watched another bear come around another side, and now we're like, okay, we got four coolers left. What noise do we make? You know, and we banged some pots and pans, they went off. But now what do we do with the food? We have to store it somewhere so we don't lose any more food. You hang it, right? We're supposed to hang it. We tried to hang it, but we thought, well, we don't have the right ropes or whatever. And we also understand that bears are smart enough to pull on a rope and sort of slide it their way and help themselves. There was an outhouse, I know. We stored our food in an outhouse. Some of you are like, that's gross. Uh, it's, the food's in the cooler. It's okay, right? Um, we figured out the new system the next night. But that first night, what we found out was, if you don't store things correctly, it will be taken from you. And if you don't store God's word in your heart correctly, it will be snatched away from you. And here's the thing about the bears. When they open up the cooler and put it in, they put their heads in. It isn't like they're like, oh, peanut butter, oh, jelly. You know, it's like they put their heads in and then they eat, they slobber. We had a nice couple inches of bear slobber in the bottom of our cooler and a lot of the food was gone. See, they decided to only take our food. They left some gross stuff behind. And that's what the devil does. He will steal from you God's word and he will leave trash in your mind. 
You have to properly store God's word away in your mind and in your heart. You have to guard it. That's why I love reading scripture and through Proverbs and I see these words, I see these phrases and right away a picture comes to my mind of like, don't let the bear take your food. Don't let the devil take your soul. Don't let him do that. Don't let him spew into your life lies. Guard your heart. Guard God's word. God's word is full of truth. And you need to store it. You know why? Because students, as some of you go back to school, you need to remember that God's in control. Parents, adults, as some of you let go of your kids as they go off to college, as some of you are going to work or some of you are facing difficult situations, you may make sure you have God's word stored in you so that it will rise up and speak for you when you don't know what to speak. You need to be reminded that God is faithful, that God is full of love, that God is truth, that God is there for you. God says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. I got this. If I can take care of a sparrow, I can take care of you, right? God's word is so full of truth, but if we don't have it stored away, we're going to be hurting. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. We, we all want favor with people, don't we? Many of us Many of us want to be popular, right? We want to be loved by all. We want to be talked about. Here's the thing. we got to find favor with God first, then man. But many of us want to be favorable with everybody. God first. Popularity fades. Reputation lasts forever. The question is, how are you going to be remembered? As a child of the king, will you be remembered as a child of the king? Or are you just the one that knows how to talk to people out on the field? Or, or you know what to say in the locker room to get people going? What kind of person are you? How will you be remembered? Look at verse five, last one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. These are such good verses, aren't they? They're like game changers. Some of you are like, oh, Proverbs 3, 5, 6. That's like my life verse. It's one of my favorite verses. These are great commands. This is incredible encouragement. But church, you won't know them if you don't go back to school. Get in God's word, open up his book, read it. His words are there for you. Here's the second thing. Pray for the right attitude towards learning God's word. Prioritize your walk with God. We are citizens of heaven. We are kingdom people. So what is the king telling us to do? So again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. We'll be going through this over the, like I said, next month or so. Because I want you, church, godly people, daughters and sons of the king, to be living for the king. So let's see what he has to say to us. Let's learn from it. Let's have the right attitude going into this saying, I want to learn. I want to know. Why? Because he's the king. And we're not. I'm not going to play the song. I'm going to encourage you to listen to it maybe when you get home. Phil Wickham has a great song called His Name is Jesus. I was listening to it the other day, and it starts off saying, the king is in the room. Come see the scars of love upon his hand. The king is in the room. We'll watch the darkness flee at his command. Who is this king? Who is this king? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. As you, as you read or as you listen through that song, picture yourself being in a room with the king, Jesus. He's a healer. He's powerful. He rose up from the grave There's nobody else like him. He is king. And as his subjects, as his children of the king, I want to know how to live for the king, don't you? 
Pray for the right attitude as we go into this. Pray for a desire to be in God's word. What is your attitude towards the teachings of God? Worship team, would you come forward, please? You know, again, like a summer vacation, all the fun stuff, and I gotta go back to school. I love the miracles. I love the powerful moments in Jesus' life. But I wanna know his teachings. I wanna know what his commands are. If we truly wanna live like the children of the king, we gotta learn from the king. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, Here's another way to know that school started. Just pop on social media and you're going to see everybody's first day picture. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's posting first day picture, first day picture, first day picture, first day picture. You know, for the, you know, I remember, I remember first day of school for our youngest because that meant there was no more kids at home. So I was like, yeah, that was my first day picture, our last day of them going to school. But anyway, I look at this now, it's like, that's great. You guys are excited about your kids going to school. Some of you kids are excited about going to school. Has anybody ever pictured first day back at church? I'm going to church today. I'm posting a picture of me going to church. No, why would I do that? See the difference? We get excited about certain things or we're posting things, but it's like, have the right attitude. Get excited about coming to church and learning. And if you're not excited about coming and learning, pray for the right attitude. We get to worship God. Not me, not the worship team, not the coffee, not anything in this building. We come to worship God. And we want to learn about the King of Kings and how he wants us to live for him. Amen? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that we can come here and worship you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he did on the cross and his resurrection, that we can have new life. And God, as we are trying to live and strive to have these holy lives, we need your word. We need to be in your word. So Lord, help us to have that attitude, the right attitude of, I want to learn. I want to go back to school and I want to learn what it means to live for the king. Because you are the king. And there's no way I can live for you if I don't know what you have to say. So give us listening ears, Lord. Give us the right heart attitude to want to come and hear your word. And if it's not this church, God, put upon our hearts wherever we're supposed to be. If it's not here, somewhere, we just need to hear your word preached and preached faithfully. God, I thank you that we can come here this morning and worship you. To you, all the glory, Lord, all the glory to you. In thy name we pray, amen.